0: Welcome to the thrills and chills podcast brought to you by Sharebird and Clue. This is a show about establishing product marketing, being the first product marketer and the challenges they faced. I'm JD Prater. For the past decade, everyone was obsessed with finding a growth hacker, but now product marketers are in high demand as companies realize their value. Startups are now asking, when should I hire a product marketer? Should my first marketing hire be a product marketer? A lot of folks wanna be the first marketer, but only a few make the leap. They're the builders, the fixers, the risk-takers. They embrace chaos. They're comfortable being uncomfortable. And this is a journey into their world. It's about sharing the thrills and chills of being the first product marketer at a company. Along the way, we'll meet some amazing people. You'll hear engaging stories about imperfect product launches, the challenges and nuances of everyday work, and the skills needed to succeed. And of course, fresh perspective of what it really takes to be the company's first product marketer. Before we meet our guest, we'll pause for a quick word from our sponsors at Clue.
1: Meet Jen. She's selling her division's product to a savvy new prospect. And unfortunately for Jen, she's about to get blindsided. So that sounds great, uh, but your competitor just launched something very similar. Uh, How do you compare? Jen needs to move fast. With a few taps, she leverages up-to-date intel her product marketing team has curated with Clue. Later in the show, we'll hear more on how Clue helps reps like Jen win deals every day.
0: Learn more at clue.com thrills. Today's guest is Andrew Stinger. He is the product and company marketing lead for Coda, which, if you're not familiar with, is a new doc for teams that combines the best of docs and sheets and applications into a single surface. It's a really, really cool tool, and I'm excited to have Andrew on. Andrew was previously at some bigger companies. He spent some time at Google and Facebook and Instagram, which is pretty interesting so andrew talk to me about leaving instagram Uh, yeah they wouldn't
2: verify me no i'm
0: kidding Um, (laughs) (laughs) hey you got to get that badge it's incredibly important get a blue check mark if you work at instagram
2: and they cannot give you one just because you're friends with an employee but
0: um, instagram
2: (laughs) is obviously a great company and it's a really incredible place where i think culture and technology intersect and i i was really lucky to be part of a stellar team there I might cop out a little bit and frame your question as less about why I left Instagram, but I think it's important not to be going from something as much as it is to go to something. So my headline is really just the Dakota opportunity was one that I couldn't turn up. But that said, like there were definitely some personal things in my family life that shook up how I saw my career and helped me reprioritize some things that I wanted to accomplish and The reality is some of those things were not going to be accomplished in a larger tech company at that time in my career. So moving somewhere where there was much more of an opportunity to build from the ground up, where I would have a stronger voice in terms of things like creative direction and message framing, those took on new importance to me that were not there admittedly when I started at Instagram, but definitely came about as I flexed my chops as a product marketer in a larger company. Realizing taking my career and my skill set to the next level probably just needed to happen in a different arena.
0: No, that's, I think that's great. I think it's, those are really good points. I mean, within your background from Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, I mean, you've worked at not only impressive companies but also like big ones. And then now you're at a new startup, right? It's called Coda. I, I'm actually a huge fan. I think you guys have great marketing. Which I know a lot of this is you and why you're on the uh-huh. the, the the show, but Talk to me about what you were looking for within a new role. You talked about what you're moving towards. So talk to me what you are moving towards, company, team, role, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah.
2: First, I have to give props. Uh, If the marketing you have in question that you just said, like, that's you, is the enough of the sheet campaign? That is my amazing colleague, Laura, and the rest of our brand teams, brainchild. So I can't take credit. They actually came (laughs) up before I started, but I have been privileged to think about ways we extend that asset. Need to get that on record. But what attracted me and and what was I looking for? I think one part of the opportunity was I knew actually some of the team from Coda. They were former colleagues from YouTube. And I'd always kind of been looking at them out of the corner of my eye. Like, what are these guys up to? What are they actually building? Because the company was stealth for for quite some time. And it only launched a a public-facing beta in the past two years. But I knew that they were, one, just disruptive thinkers. And truly not just like, this is a term I like to use. Oh, we're going to go be disruptors. Like, no, like they had big ideas back at YouTube about what YouTube could be. I mean, this is the team that I worked with to convince advertisers. It was a good idea that people skip their ads, mm. you know, like putting the skip button on ads. We th- think it's just something you see everywhere now. Like that was a controversial decision when I worked with these guys 10 years ago. So I was really excited just by the way Shashir, who's our, our co-founder and CEO, Helene, our head of product and design, thought about product. And then I happened to see, oh, wow, they're looking for a PMM. And I said, that's I, that's me. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as I started chatting, I chatted with Lane first. We grabbed a coffee at the Blue Bottle over in South Park. And as I heard more that the opportunity was to be the first PMM. They obviously already had uh, a marketing team. They had a really great brand identity. It was really clear what the product and the mission of the company were, but how you tactically then bring features to market under that brand umbrella was something they were still really thinking through. And throughout the conversations I had with the team through my interviews, it became clear that there was a real opportunity to say, these are the options and strategic bets you could take, not just tactics, but really what is the go to market strategy that is the vehicle for the tactics you then choose. And a lot of my conversation was spent framing what those different strategies could be and what the challenges to solve actually were and, and how I would prioritize them which in hindsight shouldn't surprise me cuz the, these are the guys that have this like doc that gets shared around about eigen questions and actually framing your your problems but i realized it was just super motivating to have that conversation because these were conversations i was not having at a big company and i think at a larger company pmm tends to plug into an existing operational cadence that you might disrupt if it has an opportunity to pay greater dividends but by and large, there's really a set of processes, both in terms of what the inbound and outbound motions were. And this was me getting to say, here's how I would craft and establish those processes. So for me, it was a huge opportunity to prove my chops as a product marketer. Do I really know what I'm doing? Or am I just really good at an established cadence? <laughs> Ooh, that's then... a good
0: question. Yeah, <laughs> I like
2: that one. And, and there was also just the opportunity to try on a new industry as well. I a good ads and media product marketing manager only, or am I a product marketer who can take that skill set and some of the frameworks that we think services PMMs to a new arena, you know, Coda is an all-in-one doc for teams and their rituals. So going from ads and media and creators to, uh, I mean, we still talk about makers at Coda, but going to what is really a a B2B, a collaboration software product was also intriguing to me that this academic exercise was, more motivating than I expected. And then when I left all my conversations, I said, okay, this team is incredible. This opportunity, the questions I'm asking are incredible. The product is so rad. I still haven't figured out how to describe it in a single sentence. And that alone was just like, okay, if, if you're the marketer you think you are, you have to take on this challenge.
0: Hmm. That's really good, man. I like a lot of those things that you were saying, and I kind of can relate to a few of those around wanting to enter a new industry. You and I met when you were back in Facebook, but that whole like ad side of thing, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm over this. I'm tired of it. I wouldn't have guessed AWS, where I don't really know anything about EC2 or Kubernetes or containers, but at the same time, I was ready for a new industry, so I can totally relate to that. And then I think you did a really great job of really thinking through who you were going to be working with. And I think that's a really good point. Whenever you're out there and you're thinking, should I join this startup? Like you have to understand who's building it and you have to look at what they've done before. I think you were, obviously you were lucky because you already knew Lane from, you know, prior, but that's great, man. And I think if you're out there and you're listening and you're trying to think about a product. Uh, Go look at the co-founders. What have they done? What haven't they done? What was their background? Where did they come from? Because you want to work with A players. And I think A players want to work with A players. I think that's an amazing point. And I loved your like whole idea around, can I do it? I think that is huge, man. Like I I question myself a lot on this one. Am am, am I just some marketer or can I actually do this? Can I establish it? And don't get it twisted. That
2: begat two things. Number one was when, after having these conversations, these eight players, these great thinkers who I looked up to when I was in more of a sales role at YouTube, said, We want to extend you an offer to come do this. My ego was like, Holy crap, they think I can do this. <laughs> uh, the sure. second piece of that is then my first entire month was spent feeling wildly expansive imposter syndrome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes. Oh, uh, man. Yes. I'm grateful that I had both mentors outside of CODA. And friends and believers who speak fluent Andrew (laughs) within Coda now (laughs) to coach me out on both sides of that. I'm also realizing that another thing I I kind of was glib about like the the product space, but it was really important to me to be in a market that did seem like it was growing and had room for growth. This is this was not, you know, some visionary founders saying we're the Uber of tote bags or whatever. And you're like, okay. And and who knows, Uber (laughs) for tote bags could be a great market, Uh, but I think that whole like Uber for blank space is is played out personally. But these are, you know, collaboration software is only growing. And then you get into docs and you think, okay, Google Docs and Sheets, Microsoft Office. But then you get into this like all-in-one doc that has connective tissue to third-party apps or doesn't make you choose between the form factor of a Docker spreadsheet or can truly automate recurring processes and conversations. And I'd really only heard of maybe Notion in this space. Um, And then looking at what Coda was doing and saying like, this is an entirely new market category, like talk about not just establishing product marketing, but like doing it while we're establishing a, a product space within a broader market where we are really going up against some goliath incumbents. What a cool journey that's that is that has been since I've been here. But what a cool journey that looks to be, and it was.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially too when we talk about everything with coronavirus. I mean, you joined before coronavirus, right? So you think about collaboration, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, I hate to, I like bring it up, but I mean, it's only going to become more important because we've seen it. Like business has radically changed, and how we do yeah. business has radically changed. And I, I I couldn't be happier for you at Coda. We're getting and getting to join that that ride and be able to kind of shape and uh, define that. And I've been following you this last year. Like, how many things have you guys launched? I mean, I think I saw something like ridiculous features, product, Yeah, you
2: know? over one hundred feature updates. Yes, a
0: hundred. a
2: twenty.
0: Two and, a week.
2: And, <laughs> Again, you won't talk a players, our product engineering design team are uh, amazing. And then of course we have this go-to-market team, like we crafted some story and supporting documentation and visual assets and like at least a, a mini launch moment for each of those 100 things. Yeah. So thank God for my teammate, Elaine, who joined us in June. I could not have supported that as one person, but yeah, it's pretty remarkable. And obviously I, I would have never asked for a pandemic. I'm not glad we're in a pandemic.
0: Yeah, yeah, I
2: also can't ignore the fact that the abrupt shift to remote work that so many of us felt did fast forward our market category by several years. And that meant a few things for us at Coda. I think number one we abruptly shifted to remote work. I didn't get to go to our office in South Park anymore and get burritos from the awesome restaurant around the corner. And and obviously all of the other stress of the pandemic. But we made the transition really quickly and stably, which which surprised me, honestly, because we have a lot of large personalities. We're a whiteboard in-person company. And Hmm. yes, we can use digital whiteboards, but it's different. But for the most part, Coda runs on Coda. Yeah. And we were able to keep doing that. So the that to me was just another validation of the choice to join this company because, wow, we are really facilitating and fueling something that honestly would have felt impossible many years ago. And don't get me wrong. Like I was also watching Instagram live take off and I was like, oh, I know, I'm I working know. on that too. But then when you hear that we have helped companies continue operating, we have given employees, knowledge workers, a space where they're like, my Coda doc is my virtual office almost. And I actually yeah. feel like Because that's organized in a way, the things that should stress me out about remote work don't stress me out as much. In fact, we're spending more time tracking sentiment in pre-reads before we meet to discuss them. We're having better conversations over Zoom than we would have if we were just all spending all day on video conference. Like It's really incredible. And it's again, it's a thing that I feel uniquely privileged to be a part of and continue to be a part of. But again, it's a challenge no one asked for. But I, I think that's another thing that is the mark of a successful startup, right? You're gonna sail into rough seas at some point. Again, I did not want the seas to be this rough ever. <laughs> <laughs> I know right, this is right. COVID is a big chill uh, <laughs> in terms of not being that thrilling. But uh, we we weathered the 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 choppiest part of those seas, and and thank God we're getting a vaccine distributed, and hopefully we will be back in our office right. at some point this calendar year. But again, the fact that we were able to weather that and in fact, deliver value and, and make life better for our, our users and maker community because of our product. That's an incredible feeling.
0: Yeah, 100%, man. And one thing I want to dive into here is I want to dive into the risk of a startup. How yeah. do you evaluate that? Because I mean, like Facebook, Instagram, what are they known for? They're, they're known for Decent salaries. You've got stock options. You've got an amazing breakfast bar that includes not just bacon but crispy bacon. You've got on tap espresso machines. It's just it's constant. You've got vending machines. Right, so.
2: But you I'll don't start. have any of that while you're working at home. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, right. There's none of that at home. You are correct. It's easy. And I'm not saying that it's bad, but there is a risk of being comfortable at some of these companies too. And it's easy to get in that kind of career stage, right? Not even yeah. a stage, but just it just happens. And, but now you're like, okay, hold on this startup. So how do you evaluate? that opportunity that, and I just want to dive in, you've mentioned some things and I really like it, but I kind of want to, to you yourself, how you evaluate. Yeah.
2: And again, full disclosure, I know you know this, but for folks listening, I am the guy that left an eight year career at Google and YouTube to go teach fitness full-time. <laughs> I was a full-time full cycle instructor for two years. So my appetite for risk may be a little different uh, than the average bear, but I, I had previous startup experience, both good and, and really, really not good. I knew at least some of the questions I wish I had asked then in my career. I think one of the most important ones for me was realizing and auditing the questions that I was being asked. Was I being asked to think about strategic vision or was I being asked about tactics? I think if a um, startup is asking about specific tactics, you may be signing up for a bit of a transactional role and they may just be looking for someone to take over a load someone else has already been carrying if they're asking you about how you strategically solve a problem it's clear they want you to come to the table as a stakeholder in solving that problem from the outset so i had at the not so great startup i worked at uh, a lot of the questions were actually around like the ins and outs of how i would manage like search Campaigns or like Facebook campaign. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting because
2: the title that I was coming in for was like director of marketing. And I was like, I think you just want a demand marketer, but I'll take the title. <laughs> uh, um, so I, I think that's one example. I think it's important. I mean, if you're unfortunate enough to, if people that work there get their honest take, the relationships that you build at other companies keep nurturing and sustaining it. Yeah. I talked to Joe Demento, who's Coda's head of sales. We used to sit on the same floor over in Mountain View when we were both newer at Google years and years ago. And, and I had not necessarily done the best job keeping in touch with Joe, but was aware of what he was up to. And he was always someone that I got along with when we did work together and just took the quick half hour call with Joe and said, is this company legit? What's your experience been? What are they really trying to do? And, and Joe is someone I, I trust and have always trusted in our experience working together. And he gave me both the good and the like, not quite as good from his perspective and they're not quite as good where all things are, as like, those aren't deal breakers for me. In fact, those just sound like growing pains, which again, there's a difference between growing pains and a company in crisis. And you start yes. to pop uh, up your monitor for that through some of these conversations. So that was really helpful as well. And I've obviously, I, I consulted with mentors of mine outside of the company. If you are listening right now and you have someone in your life like Erin Schaefer, go track her down, go work for her at Neantic or have her take care of her coffee. She will give you the best career advice of your life. She has done it for me multiple times, but. uh,
0: Huge. huge. Yeah. Huge. I want to pick apart a couple of things. If you're listening, mentors, number one, get Mm -hmm. them, have them eventually reach a point (laughs) that you become one. I I mean, if you're not mentoring and you think that you should be, then you probably should be. I think another thing too, that I really like staying in contact with past and like coworkers, that's key. I've been in roles now because of past coworkers, right? And And it just adds up and it builds. And I think that's really key. Now we'll pause for a quick word from our sponsors at Clue.
1: Not a day goes by in sales that someone doesn't ask how your product compares. Earlier, a friend Jen dug herself out of a tight spot with Clue, the product marketers platform for handling all things competitive. Clue helps product marketing teams collect intel from coworkers, Slack, emails, and the web, putting it all into one place that's always up to date and giving Jen the superpowers she needs when she needs them. Listen in at the end of this episode to hear how Clue empowers every team across the org with insights, something we call competitive enablement.
0: Learn more at clue.com/thrills. That's k l u e.com/thrills which brings me to like wanting to understand how would you know you were ready for this? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you talked about a couple of things around appetite for risk. You talked a lot earlier around being able to tackle that PMM problem and were you up to it. But then once you're into it, you have this imposter syndrome, right? Talk to me about this balance of knowing that you're ready, but then all of a sudden imposter syndrome kicks in.
2: Yeah. One of the benefits of working at the larger tech companies is a formal review process. And my last manager at Instagram, Preston, was a really great full-stack marketer. Um, he had come from Spotify previously, I think. And he delivered the opportunities to grow in areas for development in really tangible ways that, one, helped me realize my stake in those but also just gave me a roadmap to say, okay, this is something I haven't had the chance to develop this muscle in. Like, how do we find the opportunity to do it? So an example for me was I had a lot of previous go-to-market experience. I did not have a ton of feedback experience. And I would not be successful in my role at Coda if I hadn't covered that base at Instagram. Thanks to Preston, honestly, saying, I think we need to get you working on some of these things that are synthesizing market information, customer information. Because I had, I, I can always... Lean back on experience I had in sales for what's the relative priority and value of a feature. Sure. But when you get into more of the, the user research, user design, and then what's the impact in the market going to be? That was something I, I spent the better part of a year crafting thanks to that feedback from the great manager. That was also like really the most pointed point for an area for development for me and everything else was, Andrew, can you go work with this person and show them how you do X? So for me, I felt, okay, I now have all the colors in the crayon box and I'm ready to go make my work of art. And again, I guess going back to the interview, I was blown away by just the intelligence and wisdom and articulation of value by everyone I spoke with at Coda during my interview. And it was a very thorough interview process. And there was very clear cohesion and desire for even more cohesion between the product engineering side and the go-to-market side of the business. And I was able to have conversations with product designers, uh, product managers, brand marketers, the CEO and founder, our head of growth at every step in that process. And and while of course there are fumbles, I don't think anyone ever has the perfect interview. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I nothing that felt like I totally missed the point. And then afterwards, I, even, I think sometimes you have these conversations and you realize, wow, I haven't applied that framework in that way before, or I haven't had that conversation before. And you start to say, oh gosh, I actually can do this and I can do it on the fly. My instincts actually are cultivated in. And then again, right. going back to what I said earlier, all these bright people said, hey, we believe in you enough to make an offer. Like, why shouldn't I believe in myself enough to make the leap as well? Yeah, um, I like that. Again, the first couple of weeks, the, it was your typical drink from the fire hose experience. Right. And you all had a startup that moves blazingly fast. And I acknowledged, I think it was my only my first or second week, I had the privilege coded as open board meetings. We actually, oh, that's um, cool. we're a board, quarterly board meeting. The whole company can attend uh, and, and is encouraged to when we do. It's a little different over Zoom, but that one was an in-person one. And I just acknowledged I said, man, like there's a lot to do here. There's a lot that I know I'm capable of contributing to. There's a lot that I am going to have to learn along the way. And I would be lying if I said, hearing how many steps ahead of where I am, so many of you are <laughs> in terms of doing that, I have a little bit of imposter syndrome. And it was just something I did set as like a reflection on a team channel in Slack um, that had more people in it than I realized. (laughs) And all of a sudden all of that, I felt the exact same way. Like I felt that way at every company it came through. So it's not just like Coda is this company that ruthlessly executes and and keep up and hustle or get left behind. But there's also a a really great culture and high EQ amongst all the employees that came through in the interview process, but really anchored me in feeling uh, staked and encouraged in my work. And it came through in those first weeks.
0: So within building on those like first weeks, talk to me about some of those early challenges. I mean, you joined pre-pandemic, which is a slightly different, which is great, but talk to me about stages or talk to me about now. I mean, it has to be different 15 months later.
2: Yeah. So I guess for some uh, context, when I started at Coda, the product had only been on the market for less than a year. And I think it was a month before I joined that Coda had introduced their paid plans. So here's oh, what wow. you in paid tiers. So a lot of the go-to-market motions were in the earliest days. I knew there was a tension between how quickly the product developed and how many sales calls our, our scrappy sales team were having, where they were finding out about product developments on the fly. So there was definitely a challenge in facilitating better, not just not just internal communication, like heads up, this is launching, but comprehension. So making sure we had that loop that translates engineering into go-to-market and go-to-market into engineering. If you're not translating English to English between sales and engineers, you can't call yourself a PNM.
0: Uh, but, <laughs> I like that. That's really well said. I like that. <laughs> there is a bit
2: there, but but really it's with all the opportunities, especially when you're crafting strategy and getting into tactics, there's a need to, in the middle of a spaceship going at warp speed, take the time and set priorities. Like I could have the first week jumped in and been like, here's my first stab at some crappy battle cards that I did without any of your inputs. Or I could have (laughs) the listening tour and said, where are we going as a company? What's the plan? What do you feel most conviction about across the entire org? And say, okay, I actually think the first thing we need to prioritize is how we prioritize. (laughs) So I actually set up launch tiers for the company and started thinking about what level of support and communication fidelity we need based on what level of impact an upcoming release will have. And that is a bit of a shift for a startup because we should celebrate every feature. Everything that our engineers do is important to the broader story of Coda. But when you think about our external user audience, some things just naturally are going to see greater adoption and greater advocacy stem for them. That's the nature of being a horizontal product. And the good news is like through some of that, I'm not going to take full credit for it, but I, I think we got a lot of clarity and we're able to set in motion later down the line, bigger campaigns that like, now we have over 25,000 teams using Coda and logos like Figma, Uber, Spotify, New York times. Some of them were there when it started, some of them weren't, but I I think being able to help prioritize across customer input, broader user input and market condition, setting up that tiering framework. That was not a a one conversation thing. That was a, we have a meeting called catalyst at Coda and like literally the whole company was invited. I invited them. I was invited to weigh in on this is how I think tiering product launches could look and what kind of channels we might activate as a result. And after a few rounds of revisions, we said, okay, here's this foundational framework. Did we adhere to it 100% of the time? Of course not. It's a framework, like you color outside the line sometimes, but I think that was really important. And then there is just the nature of how multifaceted Coda is as a product and as a PMM, you want to be a product expert. So I definitely had to roll up my sleeves and go a few levels of fidelity deeper into my own Coda expertise, which meant humbling myself and asking questions that maybe seemed obvious on the surface, but. Nothing feels better than when someone says, oh yeah, that's kind of a tricky schema you've laid out there. Let's think through it. And an it makes you feel like you're not the dumbest person they've ever met. Uh, oh, <laughs> and actually man. that has never happened for me at Coda, but that had certainly happened at some of the bigger companies <laughs> where maybe the we're all in this together uh, mentality, the we literally are co-located across all functions. The mentality wasn't always there, you know?
0: Oh uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, we have at AWS, we do doc reads and... You can be invited or not invited, but you get to like control kind of who's there. I mean, and you get shredded at times I've been in, yeah. I, I, I haven't written mine yet. Mine's coming in a couple of weeks. My very first one, I imagine I'll game. be in tears after the first meeting, but you know, it'll be good feedback and it's intimidating, right? I mean, you're out there, you're the first BMm you're like here we go, I think we need launch tiers. One, just for my own sanity, because I can't do a hundred (laughs) different launches in a year, but we need to like tailor these out and have certain things that are available. And so being able to kind of do that own internal evangelism is key. I think, yeah,
2: you're hinging on something. Again, I think this came up, this might be my colleague Peter from Instagram who really articulated it this way for me, but like a good PMM has a point of view, obviously, and a strong one usually a great PMM has a defensible point of view. Yeah, and, and I think that was one of the really important things was you have to link back to your sources. Like uh, A journalist needs to like be able to quote their sources. You need to say, is this a market-driven insight or is it an instinct? And marketers are going to always walk the line between insights and instincts because you're marrying the heart and the mind of a product. You're marrying the brain and the heart here's tactically what this thing can do, but here's what we want it to inspire you to do and feel, right? And it's, I don't have a prescription for what percent you should spend doing each, but I do feel strongly yeah. that you should feel confident in your ability to do both of those things. And tip for your write-up, use <laughs> You can type flash sentiment in a Coda doc and you can get a little thing at the end. And it's a pre-made drag and drop template that lets people before you meet to talk about it, share their sentiment and ask their questions, you can type slash vote and you can get a voting table. I have to promo my product here or else I'm a bad PMM. And you can have people vote on what questions are most important. And it's what we do for every meeting. It's one of our rituals and it is why we have such productive meetings. I can't say enough about it. Yeah, just everyone find me on LinkedIn and I'll share you our templates.
0: <laughs> and we'll also include a link. Andrew made a, a PMM template, like a, kind of like a hub. Yeah, and um, I think that's a really good one we can share. And then in the, in the show notes, but whenever you're thinking through, you know, your career, startups, big companies, soul cycle, what are some <sighs> of those, what are some of those thrills and chills?
2: Ah, yes. The name of the podcast. I was excited for this and I still am. I think the biggest thrill at the highest level for me is when you see the story really come together and it's not 100% the story you started, like you as a single PMM started telling. When the story just takes on these layers of dimension and ownership across the company and then you put it out in the world and the world receives it and gets it. Because you ultimately, like you can do message testing, of course, you can do user interviews, but it, ultimately it's that you have to unveil the painting. and it's going to be a toot or a boot. And I think for Coda, like we are a relatively small go-to-market team for the goals we hit last year. And it is this like Power Rangers coming together to make a Megazord. Like the skills that we all have as individuals at Coda, everyone has really unique strengths. And it's just the best feeling when they come together and you like launch the story or introduce, like when we introduced nested pages in Coda, that was a, a paradigm shift in the product. And we had to do it really quickly because we had just launched our doc gallery. And here comes the team with like, this is the insights we have on how people talk about this kind of a feature in other products. This is the set of use cases we have from our customers. And it just, it really shipped elegantly and smoothly in a way that we obviously saw like a big uptake in users. We saw people say, this is the killer feature that's going to make me move my stuff into Coda. That always feels amazing. And then if I were to like lightning round a bunch of other thrills, like, When you're in that user interview and you see that someone just like gets it because you like thoughtfully framed the sequencing of product introduction. That's awesome. The day that my parents were like, Hey, we saw Coda on Bloomberg TV during like our series. (laughs) You know, my company, that's amazing. Like for a startup. So like (laughs) that was incredible. And of course, when you ideate and collaborate on assets, even if it's ultimately a different designer or a third party, you might contract to make the final thing that ships into the world, like your story and messaging and spirit are in that. And someone sees it in the wild and sends you a a text of a photo or a link. That's so rad. I don't know. It just makes me say, okay, we're doing something right. It's a lot of top of funnel right now, but I think because our top of funnel is growing so much, like anytime we get that awareness and recognition is just super fun.
0: Yeah. I will say
2: the other thrill is for some reason, they trust me to make a lot of our product gifts these days. And I always put Easter eggs in them. And if someone finally tweets it, I feel okay. great about it. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, like a list of Christmas movies and something uh, back over the holidays obviously had Die Hard and yeah. yeah, as movies.
0: Always Die Hard, yeah. I, I, as someone that used to rush home after school to watch the Power Rangers and then mm-hmm. deny watching that I ever watched the, the Power Rangers to my friends, Thank you for that reference. I, yeah, I was all over here. Go to
2: market Megazord teams. Yes. That's right.
0: <laughs> Those listening couldn't see because we're in, doing video through Zoom. I was uh, I was dying laughing. I had to mute myself. I was, but uh, okay. Fun part, maybe not so fun part. The chill side of things as we wrap up this episode. Yeah.
2: If you're thinking strategically, you have to make bets. And I mentioned PMM, you have to be both head and heart. You have to be both brain and heart. I can be a very heart led better And for me, it can be a little tough sometimes to detach emotion from some of my bets. And then when people have a point of view that is counter to that bet, it can feel really bad. (laughs) You know, you can just feel uh, invested. And the worst part is you think some bets are binary, red or black, and then you choose one and it turns out the roulette wheel still has those green zeros. As hard as you try to see around corners, as as well-intentioned as you articulate a bet, And this is insane, I know, because I'm saying like, I'm the risk taker who left a large tech company to work at a tech startup, but like risk still is tough sometimes. um, And different layers of fidelity of risk are are different for different people. And uh, people within the same company have different appetites for risk. Fortunately, I would say I, I have not felt that chill as much at Coda. And again, I mentioned like we have our catalyst meetings. These are open meetings where we frame a question and get together and the the right brain trust is there but sometimes the brain trust is the whole company that has really mitigated a lot of that like that way of thinking but taking a, a larger squad along for a journey on a decision as much as it's a thrill like you see it i watch survivor all the time no one wants to be the camp leader in the first episode no, <laughs> like no. you have to stick your neck out and and that can be a little chilling and then obviously like having worked at some of the big companies like Yes, there are the unplanned moments of crisis that you have to manage where you just know you're not going to sleep. I don't need to list off what ones might've been while I worked under the parent company uh, that I worked (laughs) for at Instagram. You can Google that. But (laughs) yeah, it, it sucks to be getting ready to have your team go on stage at VidCon UK and there's a bug where like follower counts all of a sudden were cut in half for like top accounts. And you spend all day doing that instead of preparing a great on-stage experience for your speakers. These things happen and and they're not great. And on the other side of it, when you resolve it and do the postmortem, and you have these teammates, you're like, man, we handle that as best we can. It turns into a thrill. Having a crisis mitigation plan in place or when you're making bets, identifying the risks and how you will mitigate those risks. Those all help, but they will always be, they always send chills down my spine in a very real (laughs) and literal sense as a bit of an emotional better and thinker.
0: Oh, wow. Well, yeah, those are really good ones. I wanted to kind of tack on. So at Amazon, we have, we think about bets. You'll hear this in uh, meetings. Is this a one-way door or a two-way door yes. decision? Yes. Right. And so when you think about those bets, is it, can I walk into this door and then can I walk out? That's a two-way door. Or am I walking in and the door's shut and I'm stuck with this? And you'll hear this a lot. And I think about this when you were talking about your bets, right? It can be scary at times to say, this is a one-way door, we're not turning back if we decide yes, and that's on you. And that can be a chill at times when it six months later, you're like, ooh.
2: <laughs> I would also, if you're making any bets and you're using the one-way, two-way door framing, I would also revisit those bets from time to time yeah. and make sure the door is still two ways. Because your sure. the door that seem two ways over time, all of a sudden get some furniture that blocks your point of egress that you didn't think like scaffolding up behind you. Like, oh no, it's going to go a one-way door you yeah. know, a year later because of follow-on decisions. But yeah, uh, it's, I don't know. It's obviously, it's also exciting. But uh, again, compared to being in a big company where I was one of an army of PMMs, if I made a mistake, people were still scrolling on Instagram. Ad revenue was still coming in. Sure. Um, here, it's I'm still safe if I make a mistake, but if I I really go all in and, and make a, a huge strategic bet that doesn't pay off in the way that you need to continue the momentum of a startup, yeah, that is the sense of risk is a bit higher. But again, that's just why I'm privileged to work with such incredibly thoughtful colleagues who help me frame the right eigen questions. You can ask me about those too <laughs> um, on LinkedIn. But the chills have been a little bit neutralized, but they're still there. And they're not always motivating. Sometimes they're paralyzing. But it's exciting to be trusted to navigate those with such a 18.
0: Yeah. Again, thanks again for coming on. Thrills, your chills, being the first PMM of Coda, telling us a little bit more about Poda. Uh, Poda, Boda. <laughs> Keep that in. Uh, do not edit that <laughs> out. That's hilarious. Uh, Coda. And we'll make sure to, in the show notes, we'll include your LinkedIn. So if people want to reach out, we'll make sure to link to your, you did an AMA on ShareBird. We'll make sure to link to that. And then also to your PMM hub that you put together using Coda. So that way, All those PMMs out there can go check it out and learn a little bit more. So thanks again for coming on, man. I really appreciate it.
2: Hey, it's been so great catching up with you. And yeah, I don't have all the answers. So I love getting connected with other PMMs and talking shop and trading ideas. So just grateful to have found this community and to have the chance to tell a little bit of uh, my story in CODIS.
1: Salespeople want short, digestible insights. They don't want 17-page decks that are scattered across the web and who knows where. Clue makes it easy to create and deliver battle cards. In a pinch, sales teams can find them easily with all the insights they need on how to handle their competitors while working a deal. And with Clue, it's not just sales teams who want battle cards. The product team, customer success, and marketing, they all compete too. Now everyone can compete to win.
0: For any of you wondering how to put together a competitive enablement program or build battle cards that your sales team will love, head over to clue.com thrills. That's K L U E.com thrills. Tell them that I sent you and they'll set you up with a bunch of free resources that you can use to get started. Don't forget to subscribe as we'll be back next Thursday. And if you have any feedback on our episodes, things you liked, things you wanna hear, anything else, please email podcast at sharebird.com. That's podcast, plural, at sharebird.com. This podcast is produced by Sharebird, the peer mentoring platform for product marketers. It's a place to discover on-demand resources to help you with product marketing. A special thanks to Alex for helping bring this show to life. Jolisha is our senior editor. Serbi is our master scheduler. Our podcast art was designed by Vika Karpitsky. Our music is by Joaquin Karud. And of course, Jason and Katie over at Clue. As always, thanks for listening.